The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 18 of the Ascent of Board Games. Happy New Year. It's January 1st. I mean, it's December 22nd. Blissful Saturnalia. But it will have been January. You know what I mean. In the future past? In our future past. In our future past. So, yes, uh, Happy New Year, and welcome to our annual year-end countdown, because you have to do a countdown of your favorite things at the end of the year. It is written into law somewhere, I think. I think. Or it's an excuse to just talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about, which is... 90% of what yeah. we do, yeah. So, yeah, what we're going to do is talk about our top five board game adjacent things of 2019. These may be specific board games, they may be board game events, trends, any stuff like that. It is entirely possible that we may go off script at some point. Uh, We've been known to do that from time to time. Number five. On Saturdays, my gaming group has been playing through Sword and Sorcery. From last year through this year, we just got the most recent expansion, Valstraeus's Lair. It's kind of the final showdown. You get teleported to a fire mountain for some reason. I don't know. No, it's an island or something. It's an island. Islands are on some level fire mountains, just as Hawaii. That game has been super enjoyable. It has a lot of clever mechanics. It does a lot of clever things with like how all the pieces fit together. All the heroes feel really powerful. There's actually a scene in the most recent game that we played. Ryan is playing a barbarian, right? And so he has like three attacks. So he's extremely powerful. And a bunch of enemies spawned in his space. And instead of being like, oh no, he was just really happy because he got to murder all of them. And then on the next turn, he murdered all of them because he does all the damage. I mean, I'm pretty sure he just stuck his sword out and spun around in a circle and they all died. That's pretty much how he works. But we've been having tons and tons of fun with that game. And I'm really excited to see the end of it. And it is specifically not Tiamat. Legally distinct from (laughs) Tiamat. But also, it is a five-headed dragon. dragon. It is a multi-headed dragon. Some number of heads. All of which feature a different color, which are associated with both a breath weapon and an immunity. I will say, now that we've gotten into the high-end play of that game, it's gotten just a little bit long in the tooth. It drags out, I think, just a little bit too long permission. The one that we did the other day was four hours of play, and it just felt like it. It sounds interesting, and I would like to say I'd love to play it sometime, but the list of campaign games that I need to finish or play is infinitely long at this point, and so realistically I will never get to it until I win the lottery. And growing faster than we can play them. I know, it's, yeah. it's, See, it's a problem, yeah. But I still really love the enemy system in Swords and Sorcery. It still continues to be very clever, and they continue to do really cool things with it. Just to be clear for anybody who's looking this up on Board Game Geek, it's Sword and Sorcery. Swords and Sorcery is from the 1970s. That's true. There's only one sword in this game. There's only a single sword. And apparently Ryan's Ryan's got it, yeah. to, He hits all the people with them, they all die. <laughs> So, Joe, over a year ago, did you expect that a game you jokingly put in raffle tickets to would still be being played? No, absolutely not. (laughs) It has lasted the test of time in a way that I did not expect it to, for sure. Jason, what do you got for us? I I feel a little bad putting this on the list because it's a game that you can't play and probably won't anytime soon. But at Gen Con, Courtney and I got to play In Space No One Can Hear You Scream. It's basically the Aliens game that 
Gale Force 9 is working on. I think the game is specifically called Aliens, Another Glorious Day in the Core, exclamation point. But the idea is it's a cooperative game where you're playing as the Space Marines from Aliens, and you're playing through scenarios that are based literally on the movie. So like the one we were doing, you were trying to escape the facility, you're putting up the sentry guns, you're fighting off the aliens. I was Ripley and Newt, and there was a little girl playing with us who was playing Vasquez, and she was killing all the things, which was hilarious. I love it. The reason I feel bad about this is because once Disney acquired Fox, their license to make this game needs to get renegotiated. Oh, dear. (laughs) And this is Gale Force 9, who's not exactly known for putting things out in any sort of timely fashion. So who knows when this game might come out. When it does, I'll be happy to play it. It has all the things I like. It's a cooperative game that's based on a a franchise and a theme I really, really like. The mechanics were actually really cool. For example, everyone's got different skills. Uh, Of course, shooting is one of those skills. And the way it works is you've got a D10. I think Vasquez's shooting skill was a 9. And so she could take actions. And whenever you fire, you have to roll that number or below on a 10-sided dice to successfully hit something. But every time you fire it, it increments down by one. So oh. she can shoot a lot of times that you get worse the longer Until you she misses, yeah. So it's kind of like a, how long do I want to keep pressing my luck? I really need to kill these bundle of aliens that's about to murder Newt's face. But that could be wasted actions that are not going to help us. But it's a really tense, difficult game, and um, I, I was really, really excited about it, and uh, it doesn't look like it's on the on any sort of radar anytime soon, unfortunately. Gale Force 9 has a pretty good reputation with doing board games based on IPs. Oh yeah, their Ascendancy game's great. I mean, they've got Star Trek Ascendancy, they've got, what's the Gladiator game? Spartacus. 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 Mm. They've got Firefly, which... It is a perfectly viable pickup and delivery game. Mm-hmm. Firefly Adventures, which is kind of an interesting skirmishy game. I would be interested in playing an IP game from Gale Force 9, especially in the Aliens universe. Hopefully they will realize that there is money to be made and, and everyone will negotiate the contract. Yeah. My number five was Crusader Kings. One of my favorite role-playing game companies is Free League, a Swedish company that did Forbidden Lands, the Mutant Zero games. They're an amazing, amazing uh, role-playing game company. They did a board game this year, kickstarted it last year, etc. And it's based on a video game, just to complete the <laughs> what, huh, what? Basically, it's kind of a 4X game in that you are kind of a kingdom. You're expanding, kind of growing, taking over, interacting, intriguing with other people. But the focus is definitely not on combat. You basically play an entire lineage of people. You have a, a little lineage track showing your king, queen, firstborn, some sisters of the king and queen, and you have to worry about next in line. Because a lot of the game revolves around screwing with each other. Every time you play a card on yourself, it'll do either something bad to you as well, or do something good for someone else at the table. So you're perpetually kind of, it's mostly just playing events, and the events will force you to go on the crusade and send one of your people off to the crusade where you may just die. And there's a lot of you know, having your king die off and suddenly this terrible heir ends up as your new king. But also you have family traits in your bag. And they're pretty much just red or green counters with some extra effects. Whenever you have to do any kind of test, you reach in your bag and draw. So if you have a child that's like got a bunch of red attributes on him, you may accidentally have him fall from a horse when he's young. (laughs) Just so as to not poison the rest oh of your my family gosh. which wow. i did in one game you're a monster <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> you can be dim-witted cruel ambitious and godless we <laughs> also had a case where someone spawned a devil child you can get the antichrist in this game we got the antichrist <laughs> and 
then was accused of heresy and excommunicated from the church by the Pope on the following term. (laughs) I think the only thing that can make this better is if you had to put those red and green tokens into some sort of gavel device that you then (laughs) shake and turn upside down. Oh, yeah, totally. It's a hilarious game. Best of all, you can marry a horse. (laughs) I have questions. (laughs) I have no questions. I'm not going to ask them on air. The horse cannot sire an heir. (laughs) Oh, thank God. (laughs) I didn't even have that question, but thank you for answering it. <laughs> it's in the rules. <laughs> no, Free Ligon is really cool. After you started talking about him, Frank, I back the new iteration of Forbidden Lands, and I'm oh, also yeah. really interested in Coriolis, which is their sci-fi setting. Oh, yeah. yeah it's yeah. basically, it's Firefly, except instead of all the Chinese influence, it's like Middle Eastern. Huh. It looks really groovy, and it's on the infinitely growing list of RPGs I yeah, want to run someday. We haven't played it yet. They've started publishing a campaign, which they did for the old version, and updating it to the new rules. The new rules are based on Mutant Zero. I don't know if you've played any of that. Mm-mm. It's weird. It uses a dice pool where basically sixes are the only thing that matters. You pick up a whole ton of dice and hope to get sixes. Oh, Brian, we'd be terrible at that game. <laughs> I know. That's why I want to run it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How available is Crusader Kings? You said it was a Kickstarter. Crusader Kings is pretty available. Okay. It's completely run through with luck. It's capricious. It's random. It's wacky. You're along for the ride. Basically. Oh, totally. Okay. Well, that's fine. But I, it's I like gloriously like bizarre. I can probably get people just be like, hey, you can marry a horse. What? <laughs> I mean, so far, this sounds like it is right up there with Tales of Arabian Nights, where you've got your sex-changed, animal-transformed sultan. A little bit. It's more restrained. Um, <laughs> but to actually Other attack someone, <laughs> attacking someone is hard. You need to actually manufacture a reason to go to war against them (laughs) or you know have them attack you or be excommunicated by the pope that was the worst problem is once he was excommunicated he was fair game oh wow (laughs) and then you have to line up people on your border which takes another action and then finally you can attack so it pretty much you're projecting your intent a long way away sure sure but like hey if you've been excommunicated (laughs) everyone's gonna be projecting that same intent it's like oh yeah let's go wipe out this guy Oh, that's fascinating. How long does the game take? It's about two and a half hours. You have to negotiate marriages and do all that kind of thing. And sometimes finding women with decent um, attributes Mm. is a pain. Is that a metaphor? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. Yes, it is. Seductive. Huge tracts of land. Seductive is actually one of the attributes. Of course. Yeah. So at my number five, I'm going to... Do a board game adjacent number five here. Oh, I know what it is. It's the fireplace behind you in our gaming room. <laughs> that is pretty great. This, this winter, I have discovered the love of having a fireplace in our board gaming room. It's amazing. And yet, I constantly have to check it just to make sure Joe hasn't thrown all of Arkham Horror in there and set on fire. <laughs> it's very weird. It's a double-edged sword, really. <laughs> uh, no, my number five is going to be Tabletop Simulator because I have been enjoying the hell out of some of the scripted events in that engine. Basically, people have gone in and scripted setup and draw mechanics and all of these fiddly things that are a pain to do on the table, and now they happen automatically. Like, one of my favorites for Arkham Horror is you can just click a button and everything sets itself up. It's pretty great. For Gloomhaven, same thing, where it's just like you push a button and it will flip all of the bad guy cards for you. And boom, you're ready to go. It sets up the map with all the right creatures and obstacles and stuff. It's really really nice. I want to get together a tabletop simulator game of 
Battlestar Galactica. So we include Chris. That'd be great. And this function, the only way you can do it is because he lives in California. So right. yeah. that's one of the things that's on my list for this next year is to try to schedule that monstrosity. So again, there's a whole controversy because a lot of these games are put on there by users who have created the content. And it's like, it's not legal. And maybe, maybe not. There's no way to indicate that you actually own the game that yeah. you're playing. Yeah. So. Although on the bright side, a lot of Kickstarters are using it as a way to prove out the game designs that sure. they're doing yeah. mm-hmm. and giving people a chance to play it before they back it, which I really appreciate. Absolutely. Uh, Isaac Childress did that with Founders of Gloomhaven. He had a basically a playtestable version on it that was readily available for anybody to test and he play. He actually did it with Gloomhaven as well. Really? Yeah. Okay. Just nobody knew about it at the time, or yeah. not as many people. For the first the one, yeah. I think used in a smart way like that, the digital implementations of board games, I'm a little surprised there hasn't been more done with it. I will say I've noticed that a lot more board games are coming out with like official, here's this game, but for tabletop sim, which great. I'd be happy to throw money at people Definitely. for doing that. They can also charge a dollar or two and recoup some of the losses of the development. So. Yeah, I'm totally down with that. I know the Kickstarter boss monster has one on there that came out recently after their Kickstarter launched. It was like two bucks and you have the game. Great. If I remember correctly, that game is uh, VR enabled. Has anyone tried that? I'm Which super. Game? No. No, the, the actual tabletop, tabletop simulator, simulator yeah, is VR enabled. I'm, I'm super curious to see how that is. Seems like the, nausea the, inducing. Yeah, exactly. Like the table flip <laughs> function. I'm curious how. How that feels. <laughs> <laughs> My number five isn't a specific game. This was a year that was really good for me for small Kickstarter games that I wasn't expecting much from that turned out to be surprisingly good. Set a Watch oh, is one yeah. that came out this year mm-hmm. that I was like not expecting a lot from it, and it turned out to be a game I quite like. Villagers is another one that I was like, oh, that looks kind of cute, but it turned out to be surprisingly clever little Euro-y card builder thing. Age of Civilization is a super clever, lightweight Civ builder. I've been probably unwise in some ways. I mean, we've all been a little unwise about Kickstarter. Let's what? be let's what? be realistic. No. <laughs> But there's a lot of ones where it's just, hey, you know, this game is 25 bucks. It looks interesting. Sure, I'll give it a shot. And at least the ones that I got this year have turned out, for the most part, to be surprisingly good. And you received them. That's, I know. That's it's, amazing. It's really <laughs> remarkable. Well, that's the nice thing about the games that don't have 800 miniatures and a metric ton of cardboard. It's just like, well, we just kind of print the thing and send it to you, and then it's done. A little bigger than that was uh, Awkward Guests, which is another one I really like. Ooh. It's flew on steroids, and it's just, it's it's a lot of fun. I don't understand that game. And and what I mean by that is, I've played the game over time, so now I understand the mechanics. I am just exceptionally bad at that game. My brain hasn't reached a point where I totally grok it yet. Yeah. Everyone else is like, yeah, I figured all these things. I'm like, I didn't, I don't understand how this game works, guys. <laughs> I really enjoyed that game as a deduction game. It's one of the good ones. It absolutely is. So that's the summary of mine. It's just a little Kickstarter surprises from past me. Number four. My number four is Edge of Darkness, which came out this year, and we've gotten uh, to the table a number of times. The problem is it only plays four, which is somewhat problematic for our circle of friends. But every time we browse the table, I've really enjoyed the experience. Like, every turn, there are always interesting decisions that you're making. The card-building mechanic is fun, and it makes you feel really empowered, and it's nice because every turn, you pick one of the card pieces on display and add it to one of the cards in your hand, and then you get to immediately do that thing, because the thing you do immediately after that is play all the cards in your hand. So you're also making a decision about, like, hey, what's the thing I want to do this turn that's already available, in addition to all the other stuff I've drafted? 
it has a lot of clever pieces kind of all the time. It's not the best game. It has a lot of rough edges. I think it does, though, kind of capitalize on the card building mechanic and kind of take it into an actual game. Right, which was kind of the place where we thought Edge of Darkness would be going originally. I've enjoyed it a lot every time we brought it to the table. Yeah, I haven't gotten to play that one, but I'd like to try it because it sounds like it's the sort of thing where like each turn you're kind of solving a mini puzzle. Yep. And that is an attribute that really is my jam in games. Just as a reminder, this is the card building mechanic, not like a traditional deck builder, but the company that did Mystic Veil, which has the see-through cards. Yeah, so literally card building. It's got yeah. a specific name. They call it something system. Card craft. Card crafting. Card crafting. Yeah, the card crafting yes. system. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, my only real complaint with the game, Joe, the box isn't big enough. <laughs> we need a bigger box. So what's funny is I checked, and it is slightly bigger than the Gloomhaven box, God, and Jesus. I feel like so that was yeah. intentional. Oh, I feel Lord. like they were like, how big is the oh, Gloomhaven yeah. box? <laughs> Two inches more. More. Two inches. It's weird because when you lay it out and start explaining it, it looks like a standard deck building game, but nothing's right. I mean, you're playing from a common deck, yep. choosing the card from a queue. And as you craft a the giant cards, drop tower. Yeah, the yeah. drop tower. As you craft the cards, you make the monsters more powerful. It's <laughs> also weird. I think now that we've started getting into some of the more advanced setups in the game, I'm enjoying it a lot more because... With the initial couple of scenarios that they give you in their preset book, the game did this interesting tightrope walk right on the line of, is it worth getting out and setting up? And it always just barely fell on the side of, yes, yes it is. And I think it is getting even more so now that there are more interesting interactions occurring in the game. It's a game where specifically cleanup is a little fiddly, right? Because you're deconstructing all the cards, right? So there's a lot of pieces to clean up that normal games don't have. Setting it up is not that bad now that we've kind of got it going. The initial setup, when we first broke it out, the first game, you have to kind of arrange all the cards. That took the length of the first game, right? So it was like doubling the length of the first game. And then we played the first game, and Mike's not wrong. In the first game, there's very little player interaction. There's very little, like, things you can do. It's very much your own thing. And then we've been kind of slowly moving towards a little bit more player interaction. And all the player interaction is small, but oh so mean. <laughs> you only really have 12 turns in total over the course of the game, I think. I think yeah, it's something like that. So when someone moves one of your agents onto a card that doesn't help you you need to now go retrieve them they've like cost you a turn or you need to find some other way to get that agent moved again it is a pretty big deal when someone attacks you like that and there's been limited ways for those kinds of attacks and it's not direct attack it's always manipulating the resources you have available to you and making you just angry about all my plans are now wrong and i hate you forever so <laughs> i will note though that in their pre-built setup booklet they do specifically mark the ones that are like they do this is very much a punch each other in the face setup the face isn't what i was going for there but yeah <laughs> be aware i'll bring it on monday we can yeah we no can i'd try like it out. that i'd like that yeah i'll go rent a truck and bring yeah. over edge of darkness to it'll, Brian's be, it'll be great monday. and then you've got the expansion coming out joe you gotta I do, do more stuff i have the first expansion but i don't have the second one yet i don't think i, I don't think it's out yet but like yeah. it's coming the nice thing about the expansions is they're literally just more cards and a booklet which recommends because each of the cards is a location in essence is how the game works so it's like more cards and then different location sets using those new cards. And that's it. Then you're done. 
Cool. And the best part is, Joe's, you can just take out all the minis that we don't use because they're completely useless and arbitrary and put the cards there. <sighs> yeah, you're not wrong. There's a couple minis that are nice. There's a couple minis that we actually don't use because they're not worth getting out. <laughs> Yeah, and they take up a significant portion of that box, actually. We have a repeat from last year on my list. So number four, the Transformers trading card game. It came out last year, and I'd say in its second year, it's definitely hit its stride. So in the game, you're basically flipping over cards from your battle deck. The cards themselves will have different colored pips on them. They either block damage, cause damage, or now they've added things that allow you to take the cards out of your discard pile and put them in your hand. There's some cards that add uh, a feature called Pierce, so it goes through armor. They've really expanded the possibilities of what you can do in the game. As a lifelong Transformer fan, I'm appreciating how down the rabbit hole they're going with some of the characters. Like, I literally had to look some up. I was like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> wow, so they're going real deep yeah. cuts. They literally have cards now that are from the Action Masters series, which were Transformers that didn't transform. That's, that's how way down the rabbit hole they're going. I feel like there's a problem with that sentence. Uh, I can't uh-huh. quite yeah. put it together. But I thought you were a real Transformers oh. fan. Oh. Uh, I stopped paying attention when they stopped transforming. So <laughs> One of the other things that they've done is they've also released individual play sets. So they added combiners where now they have a Devastator combiner set. And they have this fun little mini game where you have six characters now. They're all super weak, like they die in a heartbeat. But if you can get them all transformed into their vehicle mode and then play a card that combines them, you now have Devastator, a combined oh, robot. Oh, the head. Oh, wait. Yeah, no, yeah exactly, basically. <laughs> and like, it's this fun little mini game where you're like, I'm trying to keep my guys alive long enough so that when they combine, they don't have like tons of damage on them. And there's a mechanic for building a tower. They play these cards that add to a tower. The larger the tower is, the more powerful Devastator becomes. So it's a fun little mechanic that they, they kind of are definitely playing with. They just released a new set where in each box of cards you buy, you actually get Trypticon, which is a robot base that transforms into a Tyrannosaurus Rex, because of course that's exactly what you would Obviously. do with that. Doesn't Lockjaw transform into a Tyrannosaurus Rex? No, Grimlock? Grimlock? Grimlock, yes. yes. Yes, he's not a city, though. This is a city that turns into a T-Rex. So he's just emasculating Grimlock, then. <laughs> Actually, Grimlock's character is still really powerful in that game. They've changed it up enough. It also helps that I found more people that are willing to play it with me. So that's definitely been one of the things I've really enjoyed about it. But I feel like they really have a lot of interesting things that are left to do mechanics-wise. It's not just the same old, same old thing. And it's Wizards of the Coast. I mean, they, they're definitely putting support behind it. They just had a tournament at um, PAX Unplugged. And uh, I'm curious to see where it goes. My bank account's not thrilled about it, but um, I'm enjoying it. Well, it's cool. I hadn't heard much about it, so I thought it was just kind of a niche thing. But apparently it's still going strong, so... Uh good on you yeah it, i don't know how far it's gotten outside of like the transformer fan base i don't know if people are just picking it up you know hey this sounds interesting but i mean they're having tournaments based on the cards prices on ebay it must be doing pretty well because <laughs> people are willing to pay obscene prices for some of the stupid rare cards but yeah it seems to be doing pretty well and when they first released the game and i was fortunate enough to get these at the release time in gen con that year they released a set of two characters and two cards that they massively underproduced. Like, they, I guess they were kind of nervous. Oh, we don't want to be saddled with these things forever. We don't know if this game's going to pick up. It picked up. People really loved those characters. They desperately wanted them. The card packs un- unopened go for something like stupid, like $300 on eBay. Hmm. So have you ever heard of, like, the epic collections for Magic the Gathering? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've done the same thing, but for Transformers. They so call reprints it. Oh, nice. of the old oh, yeah. stuff. They call it the Energon Edition. It comes in this giant cardboard cube with like holographic imagery on it. It's got a drawer that's got all the dice in it, and it has um, 
new art for the cards that all have hologram, like, you know, holofoil stuff on it, and new character cards for the cards that you couldn't get. Does it come with a sticker on it that says, we specifically made this for Jason? Because <laughs> I feel like they just hit you right in the demographic. Yeah, they sure did. Um, it's funny how many people sent that to me. They're like, hey, have you heard about this? I'm like, yes. I've been parked on this website waiting for them to put up the pre-order link for, <laughs> for months now. It did show up. It is beautiful. They did a really good job on it. It's new art for all the characters. The cards themselves are plastic. They're actually transparent plastic with screen printing on it on both sides. It's They're beautiful. I'm like, I don't know if I can play with these cards. They're so nice. Well, that's why you get two. One to play and one to leave pristine in the museum. I'm really happy they did it because it was one of those things where if I hadn't managed to just blunder into those packs at Gen Con, I'd be really butthurt about it. And uh, now you can get it. And they're frankly, they look better than the original ones. The really funny thing is in that original pack, they came with two character cards, two battle cards. One of the battle cards was tandem targeting computer or something. You play it. And if you have another copy of it in your hand, you can play another one. It came with one copy in the set. <laughs> People are like, why would why would you release a card that requires a second card? <laughs> so they, they added another one that they're releasing with that set. I'm like, yay, it's now useful. It's like they wanted to sell multiple sets. Uh, yeah. You know, I think despite our best planning, we talked about this last year, getting this to the table. We did not do that at all. No, no. I introduced a couple more people to it, and there was one person that had gotten into it completely outside of my, my sphere of influence. So um, I'm just funneling all the cards I don't need to him. Like, let's play a game, please. <laughs> Jason, never let go of that person. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. My number four is Cthulhu Death May Die. Oh, cool. I'm not a big fan of Simon, but I do like Eric Lang quite a bit. And of course, adored Rob Davio's designs. This is one that was a little iffy about because of Simon. But damn, the game's good. Really, you're looking at a game with maybe eight pages of rules. It's like if you read one of those Fantasy Flight, you know, big mini sprawling scenario games, and you read the Learn to Play book, and then you have to spend much more time in the giant sprawl of rules reference not the entire rules fit in the learn to play book they're very consistent they're absolutely flawless i don't think we made any rules mistakes period during the game i mean say, i Simple. can't remember the last time you can that teach happened it in about five minutes and surprisingly clear the core of the game is that you combine one of the if you got the kickstarter five or so elder gods with one of the 13 or so scenarios those two will determine your monsters your various spawn deck cards, which are combined from both of them. And then the scenario provides your investigation encounter cards for when you're not actually trying to kill something. Basically, you run through and the first part of the game, you try to stop the ritual. And what the ritual is, is determined entirely by the scenario and can be very, very different. Once the ritual is stopped, which may be before or after the Elder Ones appear on the board, you have to kill it. And this will go through in like a Final Fantasy boss, three different phases that will get successively more tough. By the final one, you're just taking damage from existing, barely scraping by, and you'll die a few seconds later. But all of this takes 60 to 90 minutes. I mean, it's fast, clear-cut. You power up over the course of the game a lot. You start as being barely able to take down something, and by the end of it, you're, you know, merrily taking on an entire final form in one turn. I mean, this is definitely Pulp Cthulhu, oh, if I've ever pulp, seen it. Pulp Cthulhu, yeah. <laughs> but the miniatures are good. The scenarios are great. And the way they mix together, changing out the Elder One for a scenario really does change its feel. So you've got a good, solid combination of whatever. 
even changing out your characters. Each character has one particular list of special abilities that's unique to that character, and the rest are stealth, combat, arcane, that are just scattered over the characters. It all works. It's really good. My one complaint of the game is a Cthulhu geek. The uh, Shubnigareth, Black Go to the Woods with a Thousand Young, is distinctly shown as male. Ugh. Yeah. Ramsey Campbell would have a fit. I uh, can't even talk about these people anymore. But... <laughs> Is it your copy, Frank? Yeah, it's my you, copy. Did you get the big I did maxi? Not, no, in fact, there was a quote from someone you all know who's not at the table at the moment going, you are not effing getting that job. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine who that might be. With all the exciting decor you guys have in your house, I feel like that I'll would say, be a natural It's just an audition. art piece at that point. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also nice because you get to do an adventurers against Cthulhu kind of thing without having the same set of Arkham Horror adventurers that you've been playing in. Arkham Horror and Eldritch Horror and the Living Card Game and Elder Sign. So just having some new adventurers is it's nice. And they go a little crazy on that. I mean, you've got Lizzie Borden. You've got <laughs> yeah, Rasputin, right? Yeah, Rasputin. You basically got Firestarter. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. We'll be talking more about those Arkham Horror investigators. I can't imagine. (laughs) For my number four, I'm going to bring up the game that outside of any campaign game, I've probably played more than any other game this year, and that's Cryptid. Like, this deduction game is so easy to pull out and play that it just hits the table for me a lot. Not with you guys, but with my other friends. friends. With his real friends, right? I continue to be fascinated by that game and its simplicity. It's simple in the execution. The design behind it is mind-boggling to me. Yep, mind-boggling. The way it, it built those scenarios. But I love Cryptid. I brought it out at DragonCon this year and taught it to some folks, and it was great until I realized about four turns in that I had mentally inverted my rule. You're and thus I had broken the entire game. Yeah, no, it was no. the worst. But the good news is they liked it anyway. Um, and then they played it without me and had a much better time. I love the I love deduction games in general. Have you played it with a deduction sheet? No, because I've yet to find a good one for that game. There is a good one on the Geek, and you can download it and play it with it. And then it feels like a deduction game. Although it's much more mechanical because you can very clearly see what right, you're marking what off. you need to sort out. Yeah, I suppose there's that. I also haven't gotten into the advanced rules yet. Oh, yeah. That, they're, that they're looks a like a hurt. whole other level of thing. <laughs> My number four was going to PAX Unplugged this year. I went a couple years ago. I haven't had the time or the scheduling to work it out, but I went again this year. And I did something I didn't expect to do, something I hadn't done a long time, which is volunteer. I worked as an enforcer at the convention in the board gaming area, mostly because I didn't realize anybody I knew was going to be there, although I did wind up running into Jason and Chris and a few other folks. It was just really fun. I mean, the PAX conventions have a much different vibe than really any other gaming convention I've been to. It's clearly kind of a family atmosphere and and everybody looks out for each other. But I got to do some great stuff there. I hang out with the guys from Dicebreaker which is a neat new YouTube channel dedicated to board games and that sort of thing. I got to see Isaac Childress do his panel on Frosthaven, which is the full-scale expansion to Gloomhaven, which looks wonderful, and I can't wait for it to come out. I got to go to a seminar on board games from around the world, which led me to a lot of things that I'm going to look up and probably start referencing on this podcast. But yeah, it was just generally a lot of fun. Even when I was quote-unquote working, I was hanging out with board gamers and talking about board games and making recommendations, so that was a lot of fun. And I think I'll probably do it again, even if it is in Philadelphia in December. (laughs) Yeah, I was really sad I didn't get to go this year because of work, and I'm definitely going to try to go next year, because I I really like specifically PAX Unplugged at the convention. Number three. So my number three is Madara 
We've been having a ton of fun playing it when we can all be in the same state at the same time. <laughs> and conscious. And, and conscious. conscious, yeah. I've really enjoyed Madara. The game systems are very entertaining. The boss battles have been very clever. It has felt hard, but not impossible, right? There have been a couple of times where we've been like, yeah, we can totally do this. And then, oh God, oh God, why? We haven't actually failed any scenarios. We haven't failed any missions yet, but we come pretty close a couple that's, of times. That's very we true. Have, yeah. And there's one particular bad design later on. We were in a different group and we are going to finish it tomorrow night. Nice. So we'll have it done by the end of the year. There are a couple of game design choices they've made that I don't personally love. Like, I love the setting. The play is fairly good. But just like the fact that when you die, you are out of the scenario. And there are several things that will just straight up kill you. Oh, yeah. For example, in one boss battle, my character fell down a pit in like <laughs> turn two. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, guys, I'm going to go do something else. That was interesting because what that taught us was we needed to pay attention. Mm -hmm. It sucks that it affected <laughs> you personally. But like for the rest of the fight, it was like, okay, I can move here. But then the boss is going to move to here, and then he's going to pull everyone this way, so I'll fall into a pit, so I can't go there. Okay. Right. And so, like, the rest of the fight was us, like, doing this crazy pre-math on everything, which was a specific kind of fun. It sucks <laughs> that you didn't get to participate in that, for sure. But the game is, for sure, sometimes arbitrarily deadly. Yeah, yeah. We just make that guy deal with all the monsters and just hand them over. <laughs> well, and there was uh, another one where, like, one of the characters was taken out of our hands for story reasons, and whoever had that character got an NPC to play with. Which, like, again, I feel like they should have just given us that character who could have potentially joined our group and let us play with them. That way... When we needed to make decisions about that character, it would be slightly more impactful. But again, I feel like the way they did it was not great. I thought that was fine. Like, it was still pretty early on in the story. Yeah. Not long after that, we got an additional character, and we could have also gotten that character as an actual character if we'd made different decisions, but we right. didn't make those decisions. Yeah, I was the person whose character was removed the first time, and I was controlling the NPC. And what it taught me is that I really miss my gear really, really badly, <laughs> yeah. especially when it's like, I can reroll, and I can add to my dice uh, value. I really, really, really understand how important equipment is now. Yeah, I, mean, I was game. also one of the players who was uh, affected by the your character is unavailable for this fight. It is a fun game, and I enjoy. I mean, obviously, just just going through an extended story with you guys is always fun. Period. I think it is clear on some level that at least one of the game designers really wanted to write a novel or a <laughs> manga, oh, yeah. and so they're basically just saying, "Well, here are some interactive bits. They're not really going to change the story that much." If you're playing this game, you're functionally listening to an audiobook with occasional breaks for game. We've gotten to the point where we're just sort of reading the Cliff Notes version. There's a lot of plot happening and a lot of dialogue happening. And if you listen to it, it could easily double the length of your game. Yeah, there are some 30-plus minute Metal Gear, yeah, long, yep. <laughs> painful. For a while, my favorite thing when we were still listening to the audio tracks to do was to open the storybook and while we were listening to it, look Jason in his eyes and then point to where in the storybook we were right now. And how many more and pages, how many more of, pages that section. of text we had to go. And then just watch tears roll down <laughs> Jason's face. It was it was truly sublime. To be fair, he only did that to me because Mike was already asleep. That's so. true. Mike was <laughs> already asleep. True. I will say, having now played Madara as much as we have and going back to play other games that have a similar like game bit, story bit, I now have a new appreciation for the briefness <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> of other campaign game story bits. They for sure could have done some editing. 
I get the story they're trying to tell, and they're trying to explain a lot of the universe. One thing I do appreciate is they're showing, not telling, a bunch of stuff, right? They're not just data dumping you, hey, let's describe the universe. They're introducing the universe to you in a story. I think a lot of the storytelling they're doing is clever, but also it is a little long-winded. Some of the finer details of the character interaction could have been edited out and shortened it greatly. For example, the number of times a character will touch Remy's shoulder and ask, are you okay? When the game doesn't forget that Remy exists entirely, there's entire (laughs) passages where she's not mentioned or says anything in the entire sequence. Like like, entire four page passages. So Jason plays Remy and now sometimes I will walk up to him outside of the context (laughs) of this game, put my hand on his shoulder and say, are you all right? And he's like, don't stop it. It's great. It is a fun game. I wish there was a little more variety in some of the enemies because there are yep. certain enemies that we have just fought cave over and sickles. over and over. God, more I'm cave so, sickles. I'm so sick of cave sickles. But yeah, I, I mean, I really like the character building thing. You can customize your character in a million different ways and it's a lot of fun stuff. I do enjoy that part. Toward the end, it actually does, the encounters get a little old. That's generally about the time they're going above two hours because as you go up, it's harder to hit. The enemies have a lot more hit points. Seeing something with 60 hit points isn't surprising. So the game starts taking longer. That gets a little old per encounter. I can see that. Yeah, it's really cool when you're going along. And they're very innovative in the way that they do this. It's like, oh, suddenly now there's this whole new area on the map that you didn't know about before, which has a new optional exit and some more stuff you can go down there and try and get, but a bunch of monsters. So I love the stuff they're doing in the game. I just wish they had done a little more editing. Because the other thing is, if they had edited out some of the character banter... It really feels to some extent that, you know, I'm playing Zeke and I've sort of been told what this character is like. He's not my character. So I would like it if they were maybe a little bit less defined for you. Sure. But I also get that they're trying to tell a fairly specific story. Actually, I think it would have been better if they'd broken up some of the character banter into much smaller sections and included them in the middle of the encounter. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so, you know, stop, read this paragraph. Mm-hmm. And so get some of that in, in the middle of the fight to kind of break it up and yeah. break up the gameplay. Yeah, I see that. There's a couple of things they could have done. And I suspect that in season two, we'll see some innovation on the system in general. It's very clear that like in the first season, they're like, okay, cool. We have this pattern. Let's go roll out the story and then we'll fit everything to it. I'm excited for finishing off our campaign. I'm excited for season twos. All in all, I've, I've had a ton of fun with the game. And what's impressive is unlike a lot of games where, oh, we're getting new gear. Okay, it's a tiny bit better. An incremental change. <laughs> oh, no. so yeah. powerful. <laughs> it's like you go to a new tier of gear, you're like, I'm like unto a god. <laughs> Wait, this does what? <laughs> but, but also, so is the cost. Because I yes. remember we got our most recent step up in gear and we're like, wait a minute. How much does this cost? That's all of our money. We okay, can guys, buy we can one, one thing. thing. <laughs> Moving right along. Mine's also not a game. It, it was an event. So for years, uh, Courtney and I have been running something called Gaming Days. Uh, we've been running it at our house. <laughs> it was a great success. It was a little hard on the house with like 100 people coming oh, through in Lord. the course of a weekend. Earlier this year, we made it a remote thing. We actually moved it up to a resort up in the uh, North Georgia mountains, and it was a great success. Maybe not financially, but <laughs> from from the perspective of everyone had a good time. I got to play a lot of games. Lots of great feedback. Gives me a distinct appreciation for people who run conventions, how difficult that is to organize and pull together. 
and our marriage is still intact. So I guess that's things good. Worked that's out good. Pretty well. I did get to make Jason change his shirt one day because we were wearing the same <laughs> wow. shirt. <Nice>. Awkward. <laughs> and I was telling Jason next year, just tell me all your shirts on each day, and we'll just wear the same shirt every day because it bothered him so much, and it was totally unintentional. We just happened to wear. I think it was about the root shirt. Root, I think. Yep. Yeah, we both wore our root shirt on one day, and Jason's like, "No, this cannot stand." <laughs> I had. A ton of fun at AFK. So that. I I'm gonna, gonna have to try and do that one of these so we years. Should definitely, we should yeah, definitely, I'm definitely gonna be there again, and I will prepay this time so your husband does not kill me. <laughs> Don't have to break your legs this time, Joe. <laughs> I paid a little later than I should have. Just, just a snitch. Just a snitch. I love that the impetus behind this was just you were tired of having all these jerks in your house yeah. who just yeah. don't uh-huh. clean up after themselves. Yes. <laughs> so how big is the damage deposit on this place? <laughs> Honestly, you know it. it it wasn't so much that they were that damaging to the house. It's just that's a lot of people to have in a home oh, over God, the course yes. of an entire weekend, and it's you, nonstop. You have a good-sized house, but yeah. that's still an awful lot of people. Yeah, it's looking really good for this year. And honestly, if it keeps going as well, we'll probably be taking over another building in that resort. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. We, <laughs> so if our listeners want to attend, who should nope, they? Nope, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Invite only. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was the space was really cool. I'm really excited to go back up there. Kind of going up to that remote of an area was a lot of fun. So Yeah, I was impressed at how well it actually spaced out people and we had plenty of room. We literally had access to an entire conference center that we didn't even use. Like, yeah, yeah. We literally just Whoa. just move everybody over to that. So I'm looking forward to it this year. Now that I know what to expect, we're planning a little better this time. So, so my number three is a game I actually haven't completed a full game of, which is sad. But I've tried five times. We just never quite managed to make it all the way through Space Corp. I'm in. Like, oh, yeah. whenever you're ready, Frank. These guys won't play with us, but I'm in. I'm to give it another try the first game was rough but like i feel like i didn't have a good grasp on the rules when we started which is sometimes that bothers me in games so i'm only giving it another try we only had an hour and i was trying yeah, to rush yeah, no, I, understand. I understand i'm just saying i'm predisposed to like space games especially kind of more realistic ones i love high frontier which is far too complex and mathy for people who aren't rocket scientists to play and was designed by a rocket scientist we should play high frontier again i do love high frontier and then there's leaving earth which has glorious laser cut wooden bits and is still really mathy that planning out a mission requires about 10 to 15 minutes of math laying out cards and going huh what okay i think i can do it as long as this engine doesn't blow up randomly (laughs) and of course liftoff which is a nice euro game with the same kind of mission fulfilling theme but space corp fits an entire one of those games in its first 45 minutes (laughs) its second 45 minutes is basically exploring out to Pluto. And then the third 45 minutes or so is interstellar conquest almost and exploring the stars. Now you're saying interstellar in the movie. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Three different boards. You almost reset a lot of stuff except for your victory points. But everything's really, really simple and card-based. And it's all looking at cards and trying to figure out the best thing you can do and there's this whole like in-between phase that we haven't even begun to explore i'm excited as well as starting to evolve your race and your various technological powers which are huge in that game i'm willing to give another try like i'd I'd be interested in giving another try is maybe a better way to put that so my number three this year is Aeons and Legacy and their new expansion, The New Dawn. We've played through Aeons and Legacy and created our characters, and we have not yet actually gone back to play Aeons and since playing Legacy, which makes me infinitely sad. And The New Dawn looks really interesting because it takes that campaign format that was put into Legacy 
and kind of condenses that down into the rest of your collection, which Ooh. seems really exciting. Interesting. Yeah, so far Aeon's End Legacy is by far the best Aeon's End. Like, just I that played. character creation totally process was so much fun. And the entire path, even though it was just basically a bunch of games of Aeon's End, each game was addictive and... The progression. Added they did to it so really much. interesting things with the monsters, and mm-hmm. uh, no, I, I enjoyed the heck out of that. That was a really good one. My number three is the specific game, but it's less of a thing for me than it is just as a sign of things for gaming in general. And that was the re-release of Dune, because that is a real classic from the early days of American board gaming, and it's been sort of one of the lost classics that would go for you know hundreds of dollars on eBay if you could find it at all. There was all sorts of stuff on uh, BoardGameGeek for you to make up your own, and I did, in fact, build my own. But I bought a copy of the Gale Force 9 remake because I want to support people bringing those classic games back. You know, Restoration is doing a lot of those. It's super reasonable. It's like $40. Yeah, it's crazy reasonable. And it's beautifully made. The board is actually based on a fan-made one that somebody had come up with on BoardGameGeek, if I'm not mistaken. But it's just really nice. And it is the best game ever made. Uh, it's, It's certainly right up there. It basically requires six players, six players that are happy to negotiate and backstab and, you know, won't take it too personally. But not quite to the degree of diplomacy. diplomacy. Yeah. Well, I, think, I don't di- know. Well, the thing is, diplomacy is purely that. It's very easy to take it personally because there's not really that layer of abstraction. Yeah. It's just literally, I am lying to your face <laughs> about the things I am writing down on this piece of paper. But with Dune, at least you need to see how the combats go. And diplomacy is all very, if I do this and you do this, then we win. Period. Plus, Dune has alliance rules, and usually it's an alliance that wins. Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant game. It's a really nice remake, and I'm just happy that it's back out there in circulation for folks. Also, be aware that a game will probably take somewhere between one and four hours. There's really no way to tell. So just be prepared with a backup game in case your first one runs shorter than you expect. You didn't mention the two expansion classes. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about those. Yeah, I no. didn't like them in the original. There are two new factions available in an expansion, which are the Benny Show, which are the guys that run the resurrection tanks. Yeah. And um, who's the other one? Did those come included in the reprint? No, no, no they didn't. I think they came out in one of the Avalon Hill expansions. Right, and they are now out. Soon to be. The out. expansion is now out, or almost out, for Gale Force 9. Man, that is fast for them. <laughs> Well, I think once they knew they were doing the game, it was obvious that they were going to do that expansion. But yeah, I really didn't like the expansions in the original. Yeah, there was the whole dual thing, which Ugh. was not good. That game does seem like it would be hard to expand upon. Ixians. It's the Ixians, Ixians the other ones. right. Oh, yeah. But anyway, the base game is super strong and solid and now available again and reasonably priced and you should get it. And the new components that Gale Force 9 did are pretty nice yep, as well. they're very pretty. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I think we will have a chance to actually play Dune this Christmas uh, over the season, so I'm excited to get that game to the table with the new components and everything. I call not the Benny Gesserit. <laughs> uh, I call everyone gets random and suck it. <laughs> it was the Benny Gesserit last time. I'm terrible at playing them. No, it's great. You just gotta determine who's gonna win and when, when and then you yeah. win. <laughs> I'm terrible at playing them. Oh, it's almost impossible to win with them. Yeah, I know. I but know. you do if you enjoy just screwing with people. But you get to, but you get to Kingmaker like crazy. Oh yes. yes, and also it's like no, no, no. You should totally try to capture that this turn. <laughs> Wink and see what happens. Like I said, if you accept that you probably won't win and you just enjoy screwing with people, oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> Stop trying to win, Mike. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> Number two. 
So my number two is Terraforming Mars Turmoil, Ooh. which... Um, that's new. So it's funny. It was like two Saturdays ago. We were playing board games instead of our normal sorts of sorts of thing because one of our people was out. And I had literally just gotten Turmoil in the mail. Like, cool, let's play this. So I think it does a lot of cool things. The events are appropriately dangerous. So the new mechanics, for those of you who haven't played it, there's a, an essence leadership council. There's a senate and one party is in charge. And whichever party is in charge has a specific effect on the game board. There's one group, which is the green faction. And whenever the green faction is in play, anytime you place a green hex on Mars, you get three credits. Or maybe it's instead the scientist faction, which is like everybody can once per turn pay 10 coins to draw three cards just off the top of the deck. Or maybe it's the red faction, which is every time you get a terraforming point, you have to spend three credits. Right. They're like, leave Mars alone. Leave Mars alone. Mars should be red. <laughs> um, the mechanism for how the person gets elected is functionally whatever party is the most populous will become in charge of the next generation. And so there's kind of like a race for everyone as you kind of put some money into that engine. So everybody gets to do one action on that board for free every generation, but you can spend money to hire more people to, to add more people. And so like that mechanism is really cool. It's, it's very much purely additive, much in the same way that Colonies is purely additive. The other piece that comes along with it is events and you kind of see the events coming, right? So you see the events that's going to happen two turns away and one turn away and then the events are going to happen this turn. So you have a ton of pre-information about the events that are coming and they all felt not great, right? <laughs> like they're all appropriately damaging and every turn you lose one terraforming rating so the game naturally stymies some of the bigger cards some of the bigger cards become now harder to play because every turn you are falling one more behind right so if you're not doing a strategy that is going to keep you at pace you kind of slowly fall behind and so i was playing a new group in our first game that if on your turn you didn't get a terraforming rating you gain a bunch of money and a cube on that card which is a point at the end of the game Right, huh. so in essence, you get a point. It was interesting. So like, I was very much the Mars should be red group. <laughs> they were politically aligned with me because I didn't ever want to terraform Mars. Ryan killed us in that game, so none of it really mattered. <laughs> but a lot of the pieces ended up being really additive in my mind. I really enjoyed it. I just actually unpacked that into my main Terraforming Mars box last night. And I'm looking forward to playing it. One thing that I really like about it is that there is now an official set of player mats that will keep your cubes from spilling yes. all over the place, I, I which was really nice. I literally took my wooden ones and were like, cool, goodbye. <laughs> I mean, I love that Etsy made those things available, but these just fit in the box much better. Yep. And they're really cool. The one thing I worry about is if we're at the point where there's too many expansions, because I mean, I feel like... I definitely want to try this. I virtually always want to play with Prelude because I think Prelude is just super. But I don't know if having this and Colonies and, you know, some of the other stuff is maybe too much. But, you know, I can't say that until we I've played it. it with everything. And what I... Well, except Venus Next. So you play with well, Venus Next? <laughs> not with Venus Next because <laughs> floaters are dumb and they've got a dumb name. And yes, all the poop jokes. <laughs> We played it with both Colonies and Turmoil. And what I really love about both those expansions, or at least the components of those expansions, is that when you are playing the game, you could have a strategy that utilizes those and you will score points, but they aren't going to be enough points that you can win off of. But also, you could have a strategy where you don't interact with those things and you are just as viable as a player who is interacting with those things. And that's a... 
really fine line for yeah, an expansion that's a tough to balance. walk. I'm a little surprised they were able to do it as well as they were with these two expansions. I had a faction that wanted to have a person in each of the spheres of influence in the turmoil board, but never really lead them. I was the secret society uh. trying to terraform Mars, and I'm the power behind the throne. So I got some advantage, but not enough to win. And I think the person who won really didn't play the turmoil at all. I agree. Because like, it was his first game, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, we're just going to throw in the because Ryan's a smart guy, he'll be fine. Yeah. And he won. He wasn't messing with any of the sideboards. I think in a lot of ways, he won because I didn't do any terraforming because of my faction. Right. And he kind of soaked up all the terraforming I didn't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we collectively as a group let Ryan that run player away yeah. run away with it yeah. because none of us were focusing well, yeah, on Well, yeah, you were all doing the shiny new thing, yeah, which pretty much. is reasonable. But I think in future games, it sounds like it'll be interesting. But like, I really enjoyed it. I think, you know, I wasn't worried, but like, I think it's a purely additive expansion. And I don't see any reason not to include it in the base game. I do think that like, we are getting close to the point. I don't disagree, Brian, that like, hey, how many more expansions do we kind of need? And I think the next one that's coming out is the legacy version. So it'll kind of in some ways it's be a reset. Less than an expansion. Yeah. Right. So I, mean, I think that'll be good. Honestly, other than Venus Next, which some people like, I don't think any of us I've do. I've never heard of someone liking it. Yeah. <laughs> All of the other expansions have been really good. Yeah. So I'm okay with them continuing as long as they maintain a standard of quality. And it's easy to plug things in and out yeah. when you need I think at this point, I'd actually be fine with literally just a card expansion. Like, I know the game's already got a ton of cards in it, but like, just here are more preludes here are more events to play here are more green and blue cards that you can mess around with i think we could use more preludes right now yeah i would be okay with more board expansions because i am surprised how much i enjoy playing helios or elysium i'd be okay with getting just a card and board expansion yeah more variety is good ultimately absolutely I don't know if this is going to come across on the audio recording, but Joe's eyes are going to roll real hard right now. My number two is uh, Arkham Horror Living Card Game, specifically uh, their (sighs) event at Gen Con this year, The Blob That Ate Everything. Every year, Fantasy Flight will come out with an event that they'll do at both Gen Con and Arkham Knights. Last year, it was The Eternal Slumber, and I can't remember what the second one was called, which was interesting but impossible. The bag was real bad from the tokens that you draw, lots of negative modifiers, and... I don't think it's possible to win. The Fantasy Flight website actually posted the numbers. It was like 25% win rate or something. And then that article disappeared. That seems really high for that game. (laughs) No, no, this is the hardcores that specifically build their decks towards it. But Mm. the Bob That Ate Everything was an interesting one because it was a shared interactive where multiple tables of investigators were fighting the same blob. The blob has a certain amount of health. You're trying to deal damage to it. You're trying to accomplish missions while you're investigating We had a blast with it. It was absolutely probably my favorite of these. They've really learned a lot with how multiple groups of players interact with each other because they've done this idea two times before this. And I think this is by far the one that is the most interesting. It's the one that worked. (laughs) The Blob That Ate Everything also has a fascinating mechanic. Sometimes this blob will eat something. And you have to pull two tokens out of the bag and then consult the book. And the book has things like it eats your health and you take a damage. It eats your sanity, so you lose a sanity. But then it will say something like it eats your house, at which point you have to go into your collection of cards, look for the card called your house, and put it into the blob because it has now been eaten. There's one that's it eats your cell phone. 
at which the players must take out their cell phones and put it under the blob because (laughs) the blob has now eaten your cell phones. My favorite is it can also eat concepts. So one of them is it eats the concept of communication, at which point the players may not talk, which is great. Yeah, we had the table next to us. The blob ate their chaos bag. (laughs) So it's the bag you pull the tokens out of. So they had to find an alternative chaos bag. And the blob card was just sitting on top of their old one. (laughs) Not not the tokens inside the bag, just the container of which you draw the negative modifiers to your skills. It was just like, fuck you, go get a new one. Yeah, the designers were clearly having a good time. Obviously, the game was an homage to the the movie The Blob. During the course of it, while you're fighting The Blob and investigating, you also have like little mini missions that you can go do and get unique items or characters out of, which were really fun. Entirely optional, but it was another fun thing you could do. For me, personally, this is one of those examples of something that I was really looking forward to. Mike helped me build some decks that I brought to Gen Con with me that Courtney subsequently left in the hotel room that was many, many miles away from the event space. So I went from extremely excited as I turned to Courtney and said, all right, get our decks. And then Courtney responded, what decks? To the, <laughs> the, the pit of despair of now I can't play this thing that I tried very hard to get into and paid for. And some very, very, very kind, generous people that were also playing it lent us two pre-made decks that they had designed that were actually really good. And I still got to participate in it, had a great time. And the people we were playing with were awesome. Like, it was a very, very supportive, fun experience. Yeah, I've actually found that the the community around the cooperative LCGs has actually been pretty great. Well, they have to band together because the game is constantly punching you in the balls. Yeah, that's so a shared... all you have is each other. Hardship creates bonding, man. In terms of the gaming thing, I've spent the most of this year kind of jumping the streams and going into an RPG We've been playing the same RPG group for about 15 years or something. And uh, this year was Invisible Sun, which is a giant sprawling behemoth of an RPG that comes in a foot on a side black cube, which doesn't contain all the extra books and bits and pieces I've gotten. The spread on the table involves these little books having to deal with a ton of little tokens to deal with your pools. And it kind of takes place in a very um, never-wear Neil Gaiman kind of alternate world of secrets. And your characters are all mages or some kind of wizards. The game comes with over a thousand cards representing various types of spells and things. So every spell's unique. Every character's just completely bonkers. Toward the end of the game, we had two people that could teleport between alternate universes. With like, you know, just a little bit of prep. The kind of things that happen in the game are just completely Doctor Strange level weird. If you want to fill a room full of strawberry frosting to get rid of a couple of bad guys, that's totally allowed. Please tell me there's a card for that. (laughs) No, there wasn't a card for that. Someone winged the spell. It's like, can it be strawberry frosting? Well, yes. (laughs) I remember when the Kickstarter on that came out and it was basically, this is a new RPG from Monty Cook and we're not telling you anything about it here by the game. And I was just like, while I'm conceptually fascinated by that as a player or a GM going into something knowing literally nothing of what it's about, I wasn't willing to spend the kind of money they were asking for the big packages. So I'm glad to hear that it turned out cool. The rules are actually a real hot mess. So what you're saying is you like the people you're role-playing with. There are 14 different magic systems. Oh my gosh. Some of them overlap, some of them are unique to one 
class or order. Frank, that sounds like 13 too many magic systems. No, no, no. It Actually, you need uh, most of them. Mike, this is the same designer that did the Cypher system. Uh, and this is basically <laughs> an advanced version of Cypher with six different things instead of three. Uh, I, I feel like I made the right choice uh, for me. It's actually not that complex. There's just a lot of it. I had a bad experience with the Cypher system Yeah, I'm, once. I'm, I'm not a fan because... It involves rolling high on a d20. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not good at, so. So, like, most RPGs are rolling high on a d20? Yeah, there are a lot of ways that you can get around that. I think my big problem with the Cypher system, I don't know how much of this is present in the new RPG, was that it left a lot of rules open to interpretation. Oh, dear God, yes. Which <laughs> can be fun, but also can be a real challenge when you think your power does one thing and the DM thinks your power does another thing. They have an entire group called the Weavers that make up their spells on the fly. Oh, good. So that group is just playing uh, Mage the Ascension. Or Amber. <laughs> they're the ones who could teleport between dimensions and they're way powerful and stupid and... Well, yeah, because it turns out when you can make up whatever the <laughs> fuck, it turns out you are really powerful. There are limits, but not enough. Yeah. <laughs> So is there like a campaign storyline or is it just like, here's a universe, go? Uh, mostly it's here are multiple universes. Oh, sorry. That are all tied together, linked and, and go. They did do a campaign with a lot of content, which they did is in a kind of stupid, expensive way. If you did the full Kickstarter, they basically kind of threw that in. So it was cheap and you got a decent amount of content. But no, I was actually making stuff up on the fly. Entire major plot points, I would just uh this this and then uh pale empress wants the soul of the serpenty dragon frank you have just blown the minds of all your players who are listening (laughs) oh no no they know i was making stuff up on the fly they didn't quite know i was making up that entire plot that the last third hinged on (laughs) but no it encourages you to just make up stuff sure and i have no issues with that i just it doesn't sound like it's the kind of game i would be able to be into but i'm glad you yeah it's weird because it didn't feel like any rpg because it was crazy powerful bonkers very improvisational and sure so that was cool so my number two has been something that has been a long time coming for our gaming group and is not in really any way a 2019 release and that is that we have finally played space alert the new frontier (laughs) expansion and now we can never play the base space alert again because that expansion is so good for those of you that don't know space alert is a pre-program timed monstrosity where you are trying to keep your ship together as you go through space but you have 10 minutes i think to pre-program out all your moves And then you go through and execute them to figure out how well you did. And the expansion introduces two, I think, really good components. First, it introduces characters. So you can actually level up your character and give them unique powers and give me unique powers any day of the week. That's awesome. But it also introduced double action cards. So now, instead of just moving left or right or up or down or just pushing the A action or the B action, it is, I move left and do the A action, which is different than I do the A action, then move left. So different. It exponentially expands the group of possible actions. And there were so many times in those first couple of games where we had those, we're just like staring at our hands. It's like, I know there's a combination of things I can do that will get me to what I want, 
but for the love of God, I don't know what it is. And I think the the real fun of that game is being forced to do things you might not necessarily want to do in order to get your job done and seeing the hilarity that plays out. So like I had a couple of turns where I'm like, I do an action and then move to a new room. And then on the next turn, I move back to the initial room I was in and then do an action. It's just, it's so good. Yeah. So if you got double actions, it's all double actions all the time. Yeah. There's no option and you must do them both if you can. I've always liked Space Alert. It is a hilarious Mr. Bean in space kind of thing. But the new one really does add a lot of fun. So uh, highly recommend it. My number two is not, strictly speaking, a board game, but it's a game I spent a lot of time with this year, and that is the third edition of Malifaux. People who have listened to the podcast for a while will know that I'm a big fan of Malifaux, the Skirmish Miniatures game, and the third edition, which officially came out earlier this year, is just a huge improvement over second. Second edition I liked a lot. Third edition is just very clean and accessible. A lot of rules and consistencies and things were cleaned up. The game is supremely well-balanced now. The miniatures are still gorgeous. Fragile. (laughs) Well, I mean, yes, because they have many little spindly bits and they're a pain to assemble. I won't lie about that. But the crucial thing about Malifaux is instead of using dice, it uses functionally a regular deck of playing cards with the Jokers. And the fact that you have a hand of those cards and if you are trying to do something and you flip a number that's not high enough, you get a chance to use one of those cards from your hand. And the sort of limited resource management that that provides in deciding what's important enough for me to spend one of these six cards that are all I have for the turn, it's beautifully deep. The fact that you figure out who your opponent is and what your objectives are at the start of the game and then tailor a crew towards it is just tremendous fun. If you're at all interested in skirmish games, I would definitely recommend checking it out. I'll probably put a link in the show notes like I do with all this stuff, and it's highly recommended. And dear listener, you should know that Brian celebrated this new edition of the game (laughs) by going to a tournament and proceeding to lose... You won a prize. ...every game. Yes, I got my ass kicked. I'm not saying I'm good at this game. I'm just saying I really like it. So when does the new RPG system come out? They actually did a second edition of Through the Breach last year, I think. Good. We should do that again so I can again play an evil necromancer and then have it ruin the campaign. They also now have a smaller scale miniatures game. No, they have a larger scale miniatures game called The Other Side. It's still not like at the 40k level, but it's bigger than Malifaux. And that's interesting because it's set in the Malifaux universe, but on Earth. So it's sort of what's happening back home while all these people are off adventuring in Malifaux. Shit's real bad there. Yeah, it's a mess. But again, super cool miniatures. And those are pre-assembled, interestingly enough. Huh. And a very similar card rule engine. So that's good, too. I never understood why you like Malifaux so much because I'm not familiar with the game. Mm-hmm. Learning that it doesn't involve dice rolling at all, it makes so much sense now. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I'll be happy to run a demo for you sometime, Jason, because it's got great miniatures. Of course, you'd have to assemble them and ideally paint them. Number one. So my number one was Aeon's End Legacy. I love the heck out of Aeon's End Legacy. It does a great job of making you feel like you're in the universe and letting you experience cool things and making you feel like you have some actual decisions and letting you build your characters and having your characters feel really great. 
and also do a really great job of like teaching the game right because you kind of slowly build up to all the components and i thought the last two fights were both really clever and it does the classic kind of like oh and you you beat the last boss now lift up the insert in your box and fight the real which last you boss. totally haven't done before because you've played legacy games before right yeah <laughs> like we actually discovered that the session before our last session i was like i was cleaning up and i picked up the insert, I was like oh Oh, I see. Yes. <laughs> I super enjoyed that experience. I thought it was really, really great. We kind of talked about it a little bit before, but like I thought everything they do in that game is really clever and really flows well together. Joe, you, you and I enjoyed it so much that in this room that we're recording in, we've got three unopened copies of it. So, And Why? none of those are Frank's or mine or Jason's. So do the math, folks. I'll get another copy to play with Anna and Sean, but then Anna moved away. So Right. She's back this week. I got a copy to play with my brother. And then and we have one more unopened. for some reason. <laughs> yeah. My number one is very specific to an individual instance of this game. Uh, Joe's copy of Nemesis is my number one. <laughs> Nemesis is a Kickstarter game by Awakened Realms. The same people who did Lords of Hellas. They did This War of Mine. They did Dawnfall. But essentially, it's alien in board game form. Aliens. Uh, I mean, there's multiple no, aliens, no, but you, aliens. You're, you're certainly not powerful enough to kill them very easily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, for those of you following along at home, this is a game that Jason definitely kickstarted and Joe did not. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's my. It, Jason even has it on his thing. It's Joe's copy of Nemesis. Clearly. It's pretty great that Jason's notes for this episode do say Joe's copy of Nemesis. <laughs> Yes, for those of you who don't understand, when the game came out, when I realized how good it was, I stole it from Jason, kept it for a while, and then he stole it back. I was very hurt that he stole my copy of Nemesis. That he had paid for. That he had paid for. That I had right. paid for, yes. The regular rules of the game, it's a like a semi-co-op. You're, you're basically trying to accomplish some hidden agenda before the ship either jumps to wherever planet it's being set to, which may or may not be Earth, or the ship explodes, or you get murdered horribly by an alien queen. My first game of it, I rather stupidly picked the objective, kill the alien queen. I was like, oh, this will be easy. I'll just self-destruct <laughs> the ship, or I'll, it'll be outside of when we jump, it'll get destroyed. No, I got into a punching fight with the alien queen who spawned on top of me, and it did not end well for my engineer. <laughs> no, I would imagine not. My first experience with this game was the competitive version. Yeah, which... the regular version. Oh, yeah. I did not like. I can see the person who would like that kind of game, but my problem is it's a really big map. And some of your objectives are like, make sure the ship goes to Earth. To do that, you have to A, make sure the engines are working, and B, make sure the ship is going to Earth. So you could race to one side of the map to set that objective. And then as you're racing to the other side of the map to do the second half of that, someone could come along and change your first objective. And it's just like, no, no, no. You have to work with the people you can actually trust to combine your objectives. But most of the people in the game are going to be on your side. It just... There might be one you just don't guy know you can't trust. But there's no way to figure that out. That's like, other why than, you discuss. Other than turning your ass around and going back to the first objective to see if the person who switched it, you can trust. Which, like, by the time that you do that, the ship is so infested with aliens <laughs> that you're pretty much going to die. Because at some point, you need to also get into the escape pods, I or, believe? Or the, uh, the hibernatorium, yeah. Yeah, if the ship's going to blow up. I actively disliked the co-op repetitive version of that game. Like, trust me, the ship is going to Earth. <laughs> it's actually going to Mars, folks. I won the game. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mike's making valid points. Like, I prefer playing a wholly cooperative version, which is wholly supported in the game. You have actually different sets of scenario objectives that you have to, instead of picking one of the two that you're given, you have to accomplish each one for each player. So it's probably a little harder and cooperative because, like, everybody's objective has to be completed. Mm-hmm. I've played this game multiple times since the time that Mike played with us. And I find that, yes, it can vary very much based on the players. But a lot of times what you can do is, based on which character you're playing, like if you're the pilot or the captain, you can have someone go, okay, I'm going to go to the front. I'm going to check. Oh, we're definitely going to Earth, guys. Then the, one of the other people, based on either abilities their character has or uh, maybe some equipment they've picked up, they can verify that thing. And usually if you've got two people saying that same thing, you're probably fine. There's certainly scenarios where that might not be possible. But my favorite objective, and this one with Courtney got, was you have to escape an escape pod with another player. So Courtney's being suspiciously helpful to me the entire game. Like, okay, <laughs> you're going to lock me in a f- uh, room that's on fire, aren't you? <laughs> so like, he's like, come on, let's get, in the, let's get in the escape pod. I'm like, no, I don't trust you. <laughs> um, and, you know, I finally didn't have a choice because I was like, well, this escape room does not have an alien in it. The other one does. So I got in there and we, we both ended up winning. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh. Oh, you were actually trying to help me legitimately. <laughs> How weird. We also played with the variant where if a player is eliminated, because you can right. easily die in this game, they can come in as the alien player. Never play that. Yeah, it it's is, too hard. It is so ridiculous. Because a human being is smarter than the game's AI. Yeah, because the game's AI is just like you flip a card and it'll decide where the alien goes and whether or not it hits you. When it's a human, they're like, I have this hand of cards and oh, this screws you, this screws you, and now this room's on fire and so is that one and so is that one and so is that one. <laughs> oh, the ship blew up. I win. <laughs> the base game, every time you play it is completely different. Even if you play almost the same tiles with like one tile taken out and same basic scenarios, the game goes different. Plus you've got two campaigns Mm -hmm. and two different sets of aliens to swap out with if you got the Kickstarter. It's a surprisingly bizarre, amazing game. So when are we playing my campaign? Well, yeah, so I really want to play the campaign because, yeah, it definitely has different, like, scenarios. Like, there is a story there. One of the things I also want to try is they've got the aftermath option where you play a regular game of Nemesis... Then you leave the board state in the state that it's in, however screwed that ship is. Then another ship is like, oh, look, we found this other ship. What's Let's going on? Let's see if on? there's anything useful <laughs> yeah. on it. Then they get there. Oh, and nice. You see all the horrible stuff that went down. You have alerts you have to deal That's with. That's awesome. It's crazy. I, I can't like wait. the sound of it. So, my number one was easy. It's Medora. I spent a fair amount of time, surprising amount of time, painting the thing. So, mine is completely painted. Oh, with can all we stretch- borrow it when you're done? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe. We'll talk. <laughs> You painted all the miniatures? Yeah. Oh my god. So many miniatures. Good grief. That's <laughs> impressive. Not that You're not going to paint half of them. I, I mean. painted my Rune Wars, so there. But yeah, I mean, that's clearly the game of the year. I think it's as good as Gloomhaven, really. I'm not willing to make that right. definitive claim, and I love definitive claims. You know, the scenario design is much better than Gloomhaven, which that's has kind fair. of very same Sure, scenarios. I'll give you that. I'll and give that, you that. I think the turn-to-turn playing of the game is better in Gloomhaven. I love that card mechanic. And the system and everything are much cleaner. But I will agree that the scenarios in Madara are great. Yeah. I smell a team up. (laughs) (laughs) So my number one is going to be Arkham Horror Card Game. Surprise, (gasps) I know. Okay, we can skip you, Mike. Uh, I did want to bring up, though... back to any of the last six or so episodes. While Jason brought up the blob that ate everything, they also published a scenario that was actually made in part by another podcast that specifically talks about the LCG called Murder at the Excelsior Hotel, which is also phenomenal and has, like, 
20 some odd endings that you can get about what caused this murder. My favorite part about it, though, is it starts with your character holding the murder knife in a room with a dead body. Go. You start in the, the location. It's the room that you ostensibly murdered the person. And there are three options of actions you can take in the room. It's like, clean up the room, hide the body, <laughs> clean up the blood. You're like, oh. I'm hmm. obviously a murderer. What should I do here? No, the best part is I was playing the, the reporter, and you were the chef. Yeah. The chef that likes murdering people with knives, oddly <laughs> enough. And uh, so she just calls up Rex Murphy. She's like, hey, Rex, come come to this hotel room. I want to show you something. I walk in like, oh, my God, what have you done? She's holding the murder weapon with blood everywhere. And she's like, hey, can you clean this up? You're better at intellect than I am. <laughs> I'm really good at hiding bodies, but the blood, uh... <laughs> That was a fun one. They did some clever things there. I, I want to play it again a couple of times to see the other mm-hmm. potential endings because, yeah, you can see where it diverges quite a lot. And my number one is a trend that I'm seeing in all the stuff that's kickstarted this year and is probably coming out next year and, and some stuff that has come out this year. And that is that paragraph games are back, baby. Oh, yeah. Woohoo! Oh, that's um, been going for a couple of years. It is, but it's really, I mean, this year we got 1001 Odysseys coming out, Sleeping Gods. Tainted Grail is functionally a big paragraph game. Just so much stuff coming out that gets back to that. I'm an avid reader and an amateur writer, and the value of good writing is so important to me. And seeing more and more games coming out that are celebrating that, I'm just super stoked about seeing where it goes. Well, and I think this has been building for a while. I mean, you look at Seventh Continent, which Mm -hmm. was, in essence, a paragraph game done through cards. Mm -hmm and Madara, like... But yeah, no, I'm just glad to see more of that stuff coming out, because as you probably guessed, if you listen to our Paragraph Games episode, that is a genre that I love, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out. Uh, I think that wraps up our 2019 end-of-the-year episode, and so welcome to 2020. Hope you guys get a lot of gaming in. I hope we get a lot of gaming in. There's a lot of stuff on our list that we need to get through, so somebody needs to win the lottery and start that gaming commune so that we can use our time better. Happy New Year, happy gaming, and we will talk to you again next month. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentOfBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. It's like there's more board games we want to play than time. (sighs) Stupid linear time.